The title this morning is on the topic of overcoming loss. A good writer, Amy R. Ewing, wrote, My dear friend Brenda has just died. She was 36 and leaves a husband and three children, the youngest of whom is a five-month-old baby. A few days ago, I walked behind her casket into her funeral service, carrying her baby girl in my arms. I find myself asking, is there any hope in this seemingly hopeless situation? Is there any comfort for a daughter who will grow up not remembering her mother? Is there a loving God who could pour his love and comfort into our grieving hearts? Is God really there in all our pain and heartache and loss? That was more of a rhetorical question for Amy. Because as a, as a believer, she knows that the answer is yes. There is hope. There is comfort. There is a loving God who can pour his love into our lives in such situations. I'm sure many of us could rewrite that introduction with different names of people in our own lives where we have lost a family member, a friend, or someone close to us. It's not just that they're not there any longer. It's not just that we can't share our lives with them, our experiences, our joys, our sorrows. It's almost as if, because they were such a part of our lives, it's almost as if part of us has died with them as well. We not only mourn their passing, but we grieve at our own loss as well. Many people find it difficult to recover from grief and to rebuild their lives. Others seem to move on with, without not too much of a thought or others seem to struggle with that part of their life having made the light and their joy just dim that bit more. And yet... Others, against all odds, seem to be able to cope wonderfully. Not by just saying it didn't matter, but by having a view of hope, a view of strength in the Lord. Able to fully engage with others again and without diminishing the loss that they had experienced. There is hope. There is a way of overcoming loss although not everyone finds it. How can we keep going without forgetting? How can we look forward? How can we engage with life without being permanently struck in the grieving process in some way? That's a difficult question, but it's not one which is limited to people who have lost loved ones. The whole topic of loss and overcoming loss is not limited to just death. It's part of everyday life in many other ways. Some children have grown up without a mother, but others have grown up with a mother, but yet without the love that they ought to have had from that mother. Children long for affirmation, for acceptance, for love, and sometimes there's another child in the family as the favourite and 
and they just don't get the acceptance. And they live for many years afterwards into adulthood with that gap, with that longing, with that loss in their lives. Many, many adults below the surface are little children who have just not had that love and that comfort and that affirmation that a parent ought to have given them. Ultimately, that love from a parent, that love from other people, these are reflections or little installments of God's love towards us. He gives us people in our lives to bless us. And these, the love of other people is really God's love through other people towards us. And yet because of sin, we do not receive it. Many people have experienced relationship breakups, not just teenagers who go through a difficult time, but later on in life, a breakup can, can really have a much more devastating impact. Or we can be laid off from work. We can suffer discrimination and not get a promotion. We can maybe not get the results academically that we were looking for or the promotion we were looking for because we're not able for it. We don't have what we thought we were able to do. We don't have the skills. We don't have the talents. And in a sense, our expectations and our reality, there's a loss there. Or accidents happen and people have to live with the impact for the rest of their lives. Or people struggle with health issues, which as we get older, they become more permanent and life-changing. These are all ways in which we suffer loss as well. We can change the details. There's so many ways in which week on week, year on year, we suffer little losses and sometimes large losses. In such situations, how can we get past them without without our spark, our joy, the light in our life just being crushed, being put out bit by bit as the years go on? Teenagers often have great expectations for the future. But then real life hits them and their expectations, their joy and anticipation gets just dented. It just gets suppressed bit by bit. And after a while, after many years, we can end up, as one philosopher said, the masses of people live lives of quiet desperation. We can end up with our hurts accumulating. And sometimes we can end up just focusing on them. And that makes it worse. That keeps them raw in our own lives. And we keep rehearsing the things we have struggled with, the things we have suffered. And the loss becomes bigger and bigger. Sometimes we end up in a situation where we struggle so much we need medical help. Antidepressants are great to help us out of a pit. Sometimes we need them for longer term. But sometimes we end up in a spiritual depression as well. 
I think what James describes in James 5 verses 1 to 4, that anyone is sick, that they ought to call the elders of the church and for them to pray over them and anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the, the faith will heal the sick. Those words translated sick do not necessarily mean ill medically. They mean unwell generally. They can have a wider meaning. It can refer to spiritual depression where somebody is so spiritually depressed in the Lord that they're not looking to the Lord. They're not walking with the Lord. They're, they're not even, even able to get themselves out of the pit that they find themselves in. They need help from outside themselves. It's not enough to offer help. James tells us that that person has to call for help. People need to be willing to receive it, to ask for it. But too often, we respond to loss in unhelpful ways. We respond to loss with self-pity, self-justification or self-centeredness. We retreat into ourselves and we disconnect from others. Or we can respond with anger or bitterness and lash out at others. We can become hardened in our hearts. And especially if we're in a grieving process as well, if somebody has died and, and people lash out in anger or upset, people let them off and then they keep doing it and people then are too afraid and it becomes a vicious circle. We blame others either individuals or groups of people or society in general, sometimes justified, sometimes not. Whatever our loss, we need, we need to grieve it. We need to cope with it and we need to recover from it. One of the things that, ha- that prevents people from really recovering from it is that they ask the question, how could God allow this to happen and can we ever move on from it? If we've suffered significant loss, we think, that was my life, but it'll never be the same. And so we don't see how we can have a new life because we're always looking to what it used to be. Well, the first thing to say is that there is hope. God knows our situation. He feels our pain in a real sense. And he has done something about it to help us, to save us. We're told that Jesus was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. He understands what we're going through. He's walked in our shoes in a sense. We're told that a tomb of Lazarus, one of the shortest verses in the Bible, Jesus wept. And when he was looking at Jerusalem and how he'd come as the Messiah to the Israelites, when they rejected him, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often have I wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. 
Yet through our struggles, God the Father is our help. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. And he heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. Thankfully, God is good and he has a plan. The question remains, though, as to why there is suffering. Why is there loss in the first place? C.S. Lewis famously deals with this question, asking, if God were good, he would wish to make his creatures perfectly happy. And if God were almighty, he would be able to do what he wished. But the creatures are not happy. Therefore, God lacks either goodness or power or both. That's the famous question. God should want us to be happy. And either he doesn't want us to be happy or else he's not able to make us happy. Which is it? But there's a couple of problems with that question. The first is that it assumes that now is all there is. There's no concept of God having a solution to the problem of evil and suffering later on. There's no sense that the here and now is a time of preparation, of a journey through life as we progress to the future, that God's solution to the problem is not necessarily now, but in the future for all who turn to Christ. It also doesn't take account of the fact that mankind is the cause of the problem. We have sinned. We have gotten into our situation because of sin. We were in the garden, the paradise, but we were cast out because of sin. And so the situation we're in is not God's fault, it's our fault. It's not God who lacks goodness. It is us. And second, God is doing something about it. The fact that we don't see the solution now doesn't mean that God doesn't have one. But we have to wait until Christ comes again before we can experience the, the blessing, the promise that the gospel gives us. We mustn't conclude that God isn't inactive, that God is inactive, that he doesn't care and he's not able. He does care and he is able, but his solution is bigger and better and more longer lasting than our short-term focus. John sees in his vision of the future, I heard a, a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. We have a wonderful hope. We have a wonderful message. It's not a quick fix, but it's a good fix. And yet the same problem is seen in the church too. Where those who promote the health, the wealth, the prosperity gospel don't look to the future but they want the, the fix now. They want everything now. They say, 
God wants you to be healthy. He wants you to be healed. He wants you to be happy. Therefore, you just need to trust, believe. And if you believe it enough, you'll have it. God does want those things for us. But he doesn't promise that we will have them all now. We can have foretastes of them now. We can have healings now in part. We can have joy in part. But the fullness of that blessing is still to come. In the meantime, life is a pilgrimage in a relatively hostile world. As we journey towards what God has promised in Christ, we, we face various obstacles. The journey of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt through to the promised land in, in many ways parallels our journey through this life. Firstly, we were slaves under sin, but then just as Moses freed the people from Egypt, when we place our faith in Christ, we are freed from the controlling power, the suppressing, depressing power of sin in our lives. We are freed from the, the punishment that that is due as well. And we have the promised land ahead of us, but yet we're on a journey towards that. Life now is not the destination. We're on the journey towards that. It's not a holiday camp. Sometimes it's more of a battle zone. We're in a spiritual battle more often than we think. We need, therefore, to reset our expectations. We need to face life's realities and cope with them, but have hope for what God is doing in the future. If we have unrealistic expectations, if we think this is when we ought to have all the blessings that are there from from God towards us, we will be disappointed. But if we are realistic and rely on God's help, we will be able to cope, even to thrive during difficult situations. We need to be able to deal with the problem of pain in a real way. About 60 years ago, a German theologian was visiting the United States. And after a long trip around, he was interviewed by a group of journalists and theological students. His name was Helmut Thielich. He was asked what he considered to be the most important question at that time for Americans. And he says it, I would rather if you will permit me to, to make a judgment, to mention an entirely different problem as being the most important question you're facing. He says, not a single person ever raised it in any of the discussions he had. And the topic was how Americans deal with suffering. Yes, you've heard me right. I mean the problem of suffering, he said. Again and again, I have the feeling that suffering is regarded as something which is fundamentally inadmissible, distressing, embarrassing, and not to be endured. Naturally, we're called upon to combat and diminish suffering. All medical and social action is motivated by the perfectly justified passion for this goal. But the idea that suffering is a burden which can or even should be fundamentally and radically exterminated 
can only lead to disastrous illusions. Basically what he was saying was that if we assume that this life ought to be problem-free, suffering-free, that there ought to be no poverty, no suffering, then we are unrealistic and we will inevitably be disappointed. The reality is, well, he says himself, we know that in a hidden way our problems are connected with man's reaching for the forbidden fruit, that sin is behind the sufferings we suffer either directly or indirectly or very indirectly. But that God can transform even this burden of a fallen world into a blessing and fill it with meaning. Philip Yancey commented that we moderns have cut ourselves off from the stream of human history, which has always accepted pain as an integral part of life. until very recently any balanced view of life had to account for pain as a normal routine occurrence and now it looms as the great intruder (coughs) in the past in past generations people had a a theology of the world an outlook on the world that made sense of suffering it didn't take away the pain of it sometimes, but it made sense of it. Now we generally don't make sense of suffering and we see it as alien and we shouldn't have it. We don't know how to cope with it. But the Christian message is that suffering is in part the result of human sin, but because of God's grace to us, there will be a time when there is no more suffering and we look forward to that and we move towards that through faith in Christ. In the meantime, Jesus says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as something strange were happening to you. These things are temporary and we can respond either in denial and frustration Or we can work with God and overcome. How should we respond? Well, there's a few different ways we can respond. There's those who are indifferent. Eastern religions like Buddhism tend to minimize pain. They try and get us to become indifferent to it. Where we get to the point where we don't care about pain. Where pain and suffering just has no impact upon us then we're close to nirvana. And yet, that really doesn't take into account the seriousness of the the pain and the suffering that people are going through. It is more important than that than to be indifferent to it. Or some people think of yin and yang, it's whatever goes around comes around. If you suffer good, you're going to suffer something opposite, something bad. If you suffer something bad, you're going to suffer something good. But that provides no hope. That provides no perseverance. That provides no gospel. Instead, God is patient with us. He doesn't condemn us for our sin. He gives us the opportunity to see through pain and suffering 
where it leads to so we can avoid that. C.S. Lewis again writes, We can rest contentedly in our sins and in our stupidities, but pain insists on being attended to. Sometimes we can go along in life and we're just breezing along. We ignore all of God's promptings to us. But he says pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rise, a deaf world. That's one of the positive things about pain. It can be God's way of saying, wake up, pay attention, listen to me. And then there's a hopeless. There are those who have just given up. They go through the motions each day, but they've lost hope. They've lost a reason for living. And they're just like clockwork. Their joy is gone, but they're just functioning, going on from one day to the next. There's no hope. They need the gospel of hope in Christ. And there's the prodigal, like the prodigal son in the parable that Jesus told us about, who went off and his motto was to eat, drink and be merry, not worrying about tomorrow. But then tomorrow came and he struggled. He couldn't have enough to eat. Some people don't care about suffering. And then when it does come into their life, they don't know how to cope. And then there's the grumbler. One of the most common responses to loss and suffering is to react by grumbling, by complaining. The Israelites were a grumbling people, as we're told in Numbers chapter 14, complaining against Moses and Aaron. They preferred to go back to Egypt, to slavery, than to go on. In response, God said, How long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me, even after all the miraculous signs I have done among them? In Romans chapter 2, Paul says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? We oughtn't to grumble. We ought to see what is God saying to us through this situation? Some people see the glass half empty, the others see the glass half full. C.S. Lewis again wrote about our attitude. He says, Imagine a set of people all living in the same building. Half of them think it's a hotel, the other half think it's a prison. Depending on your outlook, you can have a very different attitude. We ought to be thankful for small mercies instead of complaining at everything that isn't the way we want it. Then there's the victim. And this is probably the most difficult, most common response to dealing with loss. It doesn't mean that people are always mentioning their past but they're living in the light of it. Their past is defining how they live and what they think of themselves. We shouldn't let our past define us. If we've trusted in Christ, 
We should not think of ourselves as what we used to be. We shouldn't think of ourselves as inferior, as, unfa- as failures, as unworthy. If we're in Christ, we've been forgiven. We are loved by God. We are accepted in Christ. We could even go so far as to say that remaining a victim of loss, continually thinking of ourselves with low esteem, thinking that we can't do anything useful compared to others anyway, is actually lack of faith, lack of trust. It's actually denying what God has said about us and who we are in Christ. It's not living according to what God says, that we can do Everything through Christ who gives us strength. Our worthiness is not in ourselves. We are not wonderful in ourselves, but we are something special in Christ. It is in him that we are accepted. It is in him that we are a new person. It's in him that we can do all things. And one of the more difficult ways that people who are victims of injustice or loss respond is by not being able to deal with what has happened. Sometimes people get caught in a rut. They're looking for justice, but they don't even know sometimes who did the injustice. And they can't move on. They can't cope with life. They can't rest until they get justice in the courts. It's good to pursue justice and to campaign for it. And we can campaign for the rest of our lives for it, but the problem is we should not let our peace be dependent upon that. Instead, we should trust in God's justice on the judgment day. We should let these matters go in terms of our own peace. We should forgive. That's what the words for forgiveness mean in the New Testament. It means to let go. To leave it to God and his justice at a personal level and let the courts deal with it at a society level and do what we can to help them do that. But in terms of our peace, we oughtn't to let the lack of the courts doing what they ought to do rob us of our own peace. Another way we we can lose our pieces by permanently being the victim that we cannot accept what has happened to us. Something happened while we were maybe as a child or maybe later on and we can't accept it. We, we don't accept that this is what has happened. We want to turn back the clock and reset things and In a sense, we make the situation, the loss that we had, we make it our idol. We want, to, we want to undo it. We can't live any other way. It blocks out our ability to receive healing from God, to receive new blessings from him. When we focus so much on one thing that has happened to us, we're actually stopping ourselves from being able to receive even better and bigger blessings. Like a child who's got a broken toy and is holding on to this broken toy and just won't let go of it and constantly 
bemoaning and crying about this toy which had become broken. And yet the mum or dad wants to, to give them something bigger and better. But they won't let go of it. They won't put it down. And so they can't receive something better. We have to let go of things in order to receive better blessings from God. We can mourn our loss. We can look for justice for our loss. But if we're holding on to it, then we're letting it define who we are. We're, we're letting it make us permanently a victim. We shouldn't let our past define us. Instead, we should let our identity in Christ define us. And then there are the guilty. Sometimes our sorrow and loss is due to our own sin. We struggle with our own conscience. If we're struggling with guilt, that doesn't need to define us either because Christ died on the cross to take away our guilt, to take away our shame. He became the abuser. He became the thief. He became the the bully, the selfish, the sinner. And he suffered the punishment that was due for that. Jesus didn't go to the cross for the self-righteous. He went to the cross for the sinner so that we could be forgiven. Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Let's not not let our guilt and the loss of what our opportunity could have been if we hadn't done that. Let's not let our guilt define us, but let's let our peace with God, let's let the gospel define us. And then there's the overcomer. We shouldn't think of ourselves as victims, as guilty, as those who are hopeless, but instead as overcomers, those who are in Christ. Jesus says, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. He's speaking in a broad sense, but this truth is true for us. If we are in Christ, we can overcome sin. We have overcome sin in terms of its hold on us because Christ has had victory over sin and his suffering on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. We ought to take heart. He has overcome the world. And we don't have to go through it on our own. Isaiah prophesied of the the good shepherd, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. And he will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. Are we continuing to wander off on our own or are we letting him carry us? If he begins to carry us, do we wriggle out and want to go off on our own? Yet we can face the future with confidence. As Paul says in Romans 5, we can, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. 
And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us. Because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Suffering and loss ought not to crush us. But from it, we can look forward in hope to what God has for us. And we can walk with him in his comfort, in his strength. Joni Erickson Tada wrote, after becoming paralyzed from the neck down at the age of 17, the Lord took absolutely no pleasure in my broken neck. Like any father who has compassion on his children, God grieved to see me hurt. Yet at the same time, it pleased the Lord to permit my accident. My spinal cord injury was his sovereign design for my benefit and for his good pleasure. How can this be? God's ways are so much higher than ours. She writes, I once heard Dr. John Piper say that God has the capacity to look at the world through two lenses, through a narrow lens and a wide-angle lens. When God looks at a painful event through a narrow lens, he sees the tragedy for the hurt it is. He's deeply grieved. He feels the sting when a child dies of cancer or a husband is killed in an accident. However, when God looks at the same event through his wide-angle lens, he sees the tragedy in relation to everything leading up to it as well as everything flowing out from it. He sees a mosaic stretching into eternity. And it is this mosaic with all its parts that brings him delight. God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and have turned to him. So let's not let the past define us. Let's not let whatever has happened to us hold us captive. But let's move forward in the freedom we have in Christ. Paul said, we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, but how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone and new life has begun. What do we need to let go of? What do we need to stop defining us from the past? What do we need to let go of in order to let Christ and what he says about us define us and influence how we live? We need to be overcomers, not victims. And we can do that in the freedom and joy that we have in Christ. Let's just pray. Lord, we thank you that into our broken world you came. And you came to save us, to rescue us, to give us hope, to give us comfort. Lord, help us to help us to cope with the reality of loss in its various forms. But help us, Lord, to see it in the light of the restoration you have, the new world which is to come, and the comfort with which you give to us. Lord, help us to walk with you, and help us not to let the past define us. But help us, Lord, to see ourselves as we are, those who are beloved in Christ, if we have placed our faith in him. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.